Hello and welcome to Persona Non-Filtered. Persona Non-Filtered is a podcast series where I talk to people, as the title said, non-filtered. This podcast has no script and everybody I talk to can express themselves as they wish to. We have a topic we talk about and um, we will see where the conversation will direct us to. In the very first series, I will talk to many artists who will be part of the first international group exhibition for Julian Assange, opening on the 2nd of July in Leipzig, Germany. Today, I will talk to the artist Richard Laus, who is living in Hamburg and comes originally from the Netherlands. So, I wish you much fun with this first podcast. Richard, um, thank you very much to, um, for talking to me today for our little podcast, for the resistance of art and for our upcoming exhibition for Julian Assange in Leipzig. We choose your work because we, we were absolutely stunned by it. But first, I'd like to talk with you about um, a little bit where you're coming from and how you actually... Um, got your interest in art and uh, phot photography. Yeah, uh, hi Manja. Uh, first of all, thank you for uh, inviting me uh, to this podcast and for selecting my uh, work for the exhibition and for your <laughs> great compliments about uh, the project. Um, I think exhibition is a very uh, important one, this international group exhibition and um, I uh, think it, um, that you're organizing this uh, it just shows that there and you know how important this space is for future of democracy. So thank you for organizing it. Um, so where I'm coming from, um, how much detail do you want here? <laughs> uh, so much detail you want to give us, <laughs> yeah. you know. So, um, I mean, I read that you... Um, Originally, you are born in Netherlands, right? Yeah. And yeah. you moved to Hamburg because of the love. <laughs> uh, yeah. So okay. um, I grew up in the Netherlands, uh, lived there um, for a long time, actually. I only moved to Hamburg in 2017, I think. So that's not so long. And... Um, Yeah, yeah, originally I'm not from, an, uh, from a family that, uh, I mean, my parents uh, were not lovers of art, uh, were not really interested in it. Um, so it, it didn't come from my upbringing that I got interested in art. I also, where I grew up in the Netherlands, this is, a, this is in the north of the Netherlands, um, which uh, if you know the Netherlands a bit, all the... Um, most interesting cultural things are uh, more in the West. Okay. Uh, like uh, Amsterdam region. And although the Netherlands is a very small country, um, the northern part is always considered a bit of a undeveloped part. <laughs> it's crazy, <laughs> but it's true. <laughs> 
like uh, people from Amsterdam say, oh, I'm not going to drive uh, 90 minutes to this northern part all the way. <laughs> this is way too far, stuff like this. Uh, so um, you are a bit of an outsider when you grow up there. Uh, and especially I grew up in a small village and then you're even more of an outsider. Um, um, so I think there my sense uh, of being an outsider developed um, growing up in this part of the country. Um, uh, but with no art uh, uh, in my upbringing. And this only came later when I, uh, of course, um, you know, you, you grow up, you, 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 you are inspired by people, like you listen to music, you read some interviews and you read uh, about the people that they are inspired by and so on and so on. And then you learn, you meet classmates who, who tell you something. So yeah, it came slowly, I think, the love of art. So what kind of music you were listening to then? So what was this, who inspired you there? Um, there really, uh, um, I mean, as a, like, a, like, uh, first it was just what, what, what was on the radio. And later when you uh, start a bit of uh, having a taste. <laughs> well, okay. <laughs> You think like, oh, there is also different music that uh, has a message or like uh, um, is is more than just a pop song or uh, or like th there are artists that uh, that want to uh, tell you something. So, yeah. yeah. And uh, so it was more like this was I think then in the nineties, of course uh there were a lot of uh, there was a lot of political stuff going on of course with the first uh iraq uh, war and then also in the us where they had like a republican government for so many years and this changed with uh bill clinton who was then uh, thought to be a, uh, <laughs> a game changer which of course uh, didn't prove to be true but uh <laughs> so that that there were like of course a lot going on uh like uh, culturally in art uh not only music but um and so uh, this this whole scene with which to me was a bit a, a bit i mean when you go, and they were inspired this whole scene i think by the do-it-yourself attitude from the from the punk movement in the from the 70s yeah and this, uh, this I liked a lot, this do-it-yourself attitude. And uh, so I think this is what inspired me the most, I think. So did you make then an um, training as a photographer or are you, would you call yourself, um, you know, that you learned it by yourself? Yeah, I am um, self-taught. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, of course, I studied it a lot. I mean, uh, I mean, taking a photograph is not so uh, difficult, right? Um, especially today with all these digital cameras. Uh, but it's more, I think, about uh, what kind of, I mean, what you do afterwards in in post processing. Uh, 
the photo, uh, what kind of style, what kind of film do you use, uh, what, how, I mean, this is to me more interesting than, of course, the photo itself also needs to be good, like composition wise and, but I always had a feeling of this, I think of good compositions and stuff like this. Um, but I studied a lot, like, uh, what do I want the photo to look like? Um, how can I, and then especially for portraiture, uh, how can I make this portrait look uh, in a way that I think is uh, the most interesting and tells the most about the person and and to have also like a, a, a consistent style in all the portraits. And, yeah. yeah, and you, you must be a very um, empathic person when I look at the project we talk a little bit later about which will be in the exhibition yeah because there are so many personalities and yeah. each of everyone we know of course and uh, they have these very special personalities they come with yeah. in general not only because they came out for julian yeah but um for who they are what they represent and then catching them in a way to show their soul, what I truly believe you did in this project. Yeah. So you, you need to read the person somehow. Yeah. Um, yeah, this is, I think, um, I'm always interested in the, uh, I'm super interested in, in people. Um, I studied, um, I didn't finish any study, by the way, but I studied uh, psychology and journalism. Both mm -hmm. uh, didn't finish. So there's a, this is already uh, telling like, okay, I like, <laughs> I like how the way I'm figuring out how the way people think. And I like um, uh, stories, right? Or like journalism, journalistic approach of, uh, of doing uh, projects. Um, and then how I take a portrait. Um, I just, uh, before I meet someone, I um, do a lot of research about the person. So I read interviews or uh, just uh, see it. Uh, I look at uh, the work that they have done. Uh, so I already have like a, like a, like uh, a sense of how people think and uh, what uh, what they stand for and and then i already think like oh and then um uh when i actually meet the person i if they have time i have like a coffee before we do the portrait <clears throat> and um uh, just to talk a bit more and because just uh, meeting someone and taking a portrait right away, this is so uh, unpersonal, right? So I just try to make as personal as possible as it can be uh, taking a portrait because of course it's a unnatural situation. Um, and then actually when I take the portrait, I try to uh, forget all this uh, research thing that I did <laughs> and try to be, uh, uh, more intuitive and just uh, um, hope that all this research that I did is 
somehow uh, influencing my intuition and then i uh yeah and then i just work very quickly um uh, mostly i do analog and this is only has uh, 12 shots on a roll of film um and then it's just yeah uh, just over in 10 minutes uh, yeah so and then uh um so uh, thank you actually for the compliment uh, that, <laughs> that, uh, that um, uh, I mean, it's always uh, the goal, right? To catch something of someone that's real and has some truth in it. And uh, yeah, so I always strive for this. Yeah. I mean, all the people in this project come with um, a real soul already, right? Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah, because yeah. I they stand for one of the most important fights um, or to quote uh, Julian's wife Stella after one of the court hearings she said every generation has an epic fight to fight and Julian is our fight yeah. and these people are obviously aware of it yeah so they come with a with a wonderful soul already because coming out um, standing making a statement actually and get your picture, your face in front of a camera for it. Yeah. Is it you, you could even consider this or, or cause this these days as a huge step. Yeah. Because many hiding somewhere, um, maybe agreeing with us completely on the case, but they don't want to show their face for it. Yeah. No, so. Yeah, and it also helps a lot, uh, like these strong characters, uh, um, because they are, uh, uh, it's just very interesting. I mean, when you do the research about the people, you find so so much stuff that's so inspiring. And, um, and you, you, it's also a learning process. You, you learn so much from these people. Um, and then you're exactly right. And then they also just have the... Uh, the courage um, to uh, actually um, join uh, the project and talk about uh, their values and um, because you know this is like um, to quote uh, Edward Snowden it's like a permanent record right that if you just put something out uh, now uh, nowadays it's just uh, stored forever and you cannot hide anymore so uh, to to and that's actually saying this like that it's courageous to speak your mind and 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 to um <laughs> uh, to stand up for what you believe in that that this is considered to be courageous right in 2022 this is, yeah this is how how our society is now and it's yeah it's a very strange thing it is absolutely strange. Yeah. It is in, in many ways so strange that we actually even have to talk about yeah. this situation when it is so obvious when legal experts like Niels Melzer, who is one of the persons you portrayed in this project, who is a well-studied legal expert, says that the prosecution of Julian is against international law. Yeah. When and and we see this, and we are in the middle of Europe here. No matter if the UK is still in Europe or not, it's it's a fact 
that you know it is a case which takes place in the middle of Europe and this man is in prison with no nothing against him actually you know yeah, yeah. Um, and that we that we have to do this. Of course, it's our duty as artists. I strongly believe in this, that we have to do something about this. And I get very upset about the ones who don't because I don't get them. I mean, there are even people who clearly say, and I mean, this is not the case for me, but who say that, you know, they, and and Niels Melzer by himself always said he had, you know, his resentments about the person. But looking into the case and seeing this and, and meeting Julian and see what he stands for and that he never would sell his principles. Yeah. And then I cannot understand why we not are a much bigger force of artists, an ar- army of artists who, who just use our art. Um, there was in Brussels this um, speech of two artists from Italy and the woman said we will weaponize ourselves with art and culture and free Julian and I think this is what it is you know yeah we need to do this and I get really upset about this really upset and angry in some situations when I see that people don't react when I see that people maybe even disagree because it's not about if they like someone or not it's about what this whole case is about and i think the understanding of this whole case is still not there they don't understand that when he is extradited as you said this in the little video you provided us it's the end of democracy it's the end of our world as we know it and this is what they don't see they think it's just a man in a prison somewhere in uk who did something where someone is upset about, and now there are a few crazy activists who want to get him out, and they don't get the whole extent and what it means for them. Yeah. And I don't want to taste this bitter pill, and I actually don't want them to taste this bitter pill. You know, mm-hmm. normally in other situations, I would say, yeah, maybe you need to swallow the pill. You know, you yeah. mix yeah. up for yourself. But in this case, um, no, I don't want this because I have to swallow it too. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, you wrote a um, great uh, article on Substack uh, titled How Can You Be an Artist and Not Reflect the Times? The Nina Simone uh, quote. Yeah. Which I recommend everyone who's listening to read it. Uh, Thank you. And, uh, bec- uh, but it's, um, and that's, of course, uh, true. How can you be an artist and not reflect the times? Um, that's the duty of an artist. And um, yeah, I, I completely agree with you that um, it tells you also a bit of the state of the so-called art world. Yeah, that that's more about uh, making money nowadays and less about um, Yeah, just yeah. That's about reflecting uh, society, reflecting the human struggle, um, and just the the original uh, purpose of art is just almost completely gone. And and then we come back to uh, what we talked about about the, you're actually an outsider in, in the art world if you 
if you make political art, <laughs> you're not like, uh, I mean, the majority is just, uh, which can also be nice. Uh, like if you just have like a non-political art, I mean, there is, there is some purpose for that. I can see this, but I mean, the, the balance is completely gone. And uh, absolutely. Yeah. But I mean, I, I like to call these nice works interior design. I'm sorry. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, and it has, of course, you know, a meaning and nice one when someone puts this on the wall. But these people sometimes really quote Picasso. Yeah. And when you're looking into Picasso, who said that art, uh, it's a weapon against, so an offensive and defensive weapon against the enemy yeah. and not about to make your words looking nice. Yeah. Um, and then they quote Picasso and have seen something created what has no meaning behind it. Yeah. And when you ask these people to do something for Julian, then they don't want to do anything. Then you get answers like, oh no, I must be careful with my profile mm -hmm. and how I present myself because they hope that they get a contract in one of these big white wall galleries or something. Yeah. And then selling their work for ridiculous amounts of money. Yeah which then has even less meaning to me oh yeah because it is like yeah it's it would we all would be happy when we could say i'm an artist and i'm able to work in my studio or work on my projects and i can pay my bills from this yeah but of course in 98 percent of the cases this is a no you yeah. know yeah and um but a very good friend of mine said to me um, the other day, we are creative when we are good and when we are in the shit, actually, you know? Yeah, yeah. So we have to be creative no matter what our situation is. Yeah. And the last two years, of course, showed us this in a very extreme way where you couldn't yeah. have any exhibitions and stuff like this yeah. or concerts and anything, at least not in the way you maybe wanted to do them. But we had to be creative anyway. We couldn't stop painting or writing music or taking pictures because it is in us yeah. and we have to do it. And not creating something what is now mainstream media conform because mm -hmm. this is what most of these artists who don't do anything are as well. They are mainstream media conform. Yeah. And they don't questioning and don't ask questions. And even when it is, you, you would say Van Gogh sunflowers, they had a meaning of some sort. Yeah. And there was something behind it. Yeah. And this is not what they do these days. So you are so right that this art, art, art world is totally, yeah, fucked <laughs> for <laughs> using this word. Yeah. I mean, we are unfiltered podcasts here, so I can use this. Sure. But, but but it is so, there is nothing behind, really, I, I go to an um, exhibition in these galleries and I say, okay, yeah. so what has happened now? There are situations in this world which needs to be reflected in art and they aren't. Yeah. And if, then it is in a way as you saw it before in the 
eight o'clock news yeah. and then there's something absolutely wrong yeah you know so so how um you was of how you became aware of julian's case oh i um i think i have to go back a bit further i think when in 2001 with um um this uh colin powell addressing the united nations with uh with turn out to be later fabricated evidence that mm -hmm. iraq had uh, weapons of mass destruction when i saw this uh, back then i just couldn't believe what i saw i mean it was so obviously obviously um a fake evidence <laughs> and that yep. and and that 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 they got away with it just couldn't invade the country uh, for oil Can I you know, uh, interrupt you there yeah, just for yeah. a moment? Because this is yeah. a very interesting event, actually, when we're looking into art. Yeah. Because um, at this day, in the UN um, office of in New York, where he made then this speech, yeah. there's a 100% replica of Picasso's Guernica painting. Yeah. <laughs> seven meter 50 long three something high so like original size but it's just painted in different like brownish colors and uh, picasso's original is in black white gray yeah. things and this is one of the most important anti-war artworks ever yeah and this painting was hidden under under blue curtains that day oh, so that really? everybody went into the Uh, summit of the UN that day didn't see the painting and later the UN stated that they had to put it behind this uh, blue curtains because the journalists actually were asking for it for the press conference <laughs> but I found now and I will write an article soon about this that actually many journalists came out and said no we never asked for it that uh -huh. this painting is covered with a blue curtain. Yeah. And this is such a strong piece of art when you see it because of the size, of course, and because of the um, scenery Picasso created there, that I really asked the question if the people who went into the summit that day saw the painting mm -hmm. before they had mm -hmm. to say yes or no to the Iraq bombing, yeah. would they have made a different decision? And here we come again back to the duty of art mm -hmm. and how they fear art. Oh yeah, this is a perfect example, right? Yeah. It was, it was too powerful, so they had to cover it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. because the press conferences always was done in a, in a different angle anyway, so it wasn't because they mm -hmm. claim at the UN when he, um, he would have stand and made his speech in front of this paintings and he would stand right um, under this, which yeah. I said, under the bull hat in Picasso's yeah. painting. Yeah. What is absolutely nonsense because the press conference was always done in front of this UN sign, which yeah. is in this entry hall anyway. So it, there was, abs was, was absolutely not necessary and several journalists claimed afterwards that they never ever asked for this painting to be covered. So I have some people to quote on as well. And this was a completely made up thing. 
because then they found out that this actually was directed from yeah. someone else that this painting will be covered. So people yeah. wasn't shocked by the war bombing situation. Yeah. You know? So this is like artists understand what kind of power we have, you know, with yes. this painting be seen, maybe this whole horror never would be happen, you know, yeah. because people would be remembered in the very moment they go in there, what war actually means. And also, like artists should understand that uh, that it's an, um, a, a huge compliment that the uh, U.S. wants to censor your art. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. If, you, I mean, if you're not censored by the U.S., then you're not doing something right. <laughs> actually, you know, I think Picasso would have, in some way, you know, think like, yeah, you know, he always was very convinced about this painting, and I'm seeing it's one of his strongest works because of the size and um, yeah, yeah. when you're looking in the history of this painting that he actually painted something completely different because he was asked to do something for this wall for mm -hmm. the World Expo and then was this attack on Guernica yeah. and then he changed obviously his mind duty of art yeah. and think like I need to show the people here something what was happened there's this illegal uh, you know, bombing of the city by uh, the German Legion Condor and, um, you know, w what was happened there and these absolutely horrifying scenes, mm -hmm. which actually repeat in, in a way then, of course, in Baghdad, you know, so, mm -hmm. but the painting was covered yeah. with an absolute stupid excuse they put up and, um, that they don't need to stand in front of this warning sign and announce like, now we will, you know, pack, pack that under fire. Yeah. yeah. So in this way, you were thinking then that this, um, you couldn't understand that they got away with this. That... Yeah. Uh, and also the, the, what I then read in the media, because then I thought, okay, then the media will <laughs> obviously, <laughs> if I can see it, everybody can see it. Mm -hmm. um, and the media will uh, also report uh, on this and this was not the case so it was i was of course always a bit critical uh, on media i mean when you grow older you can see some patterns but this event really just completely uh, completely lost my trust in media and in in, in politics um, um, so I, then I started searching for alternative uh, ways to get reliable information. And then, um, yeah, a couple of years later, uh, Wikileaks uh, was founded, uh, 2006, 2007, they put out. And with Wikileaks, there were some other uh, platforms who also just published um, stuff that was really interesting also this of course the internet helped a lot with this and um so i already got interested in wikileaks from from the start actually so i just and then i really just followed uh followed them uh just all the way um and you can just see uh, uh of course they they became famous with the with the 
with their uh, publications, with, which uh, Assange is now being uh, persecuted for, the Iraq warlocks, Afghanistan, uh, Afghanistan documents and uh, diplomatic cables. And then this was a, like a second confirmation for me that how hypocrit hypocritical and how many double standards there are in, in politics and, and in the media when for the first few months, uh, media uh, collaborated with WikiLeaks and all these stories. Governments said like, oh yeah, we need to investigate this. Uh, this, this is like uh, war crimes or these diplomatic cables. The US is spying on us and stuff like this. And, but I mean, shortly afterwards, the media already turned against Assange because they were from the start not really interested in working with them, they were just interested in selling newspapers with these interesting stories. Um, and I mean, uh, shortly afterwards, they already started to smear him and governments um, just uh, returned to business as usual uh, and really nothing changed um, in the in, if you look at the grand scheme of things, of course, the publications and the way WikiLeaks actually, and also, I think uh, I've said this before, I think um, WikiLeaks uh, and like founding it was also just an act of art because they, yeah, yeah because they completely revolutionized journalism they created something that wasn't there before. And they saw that there was something really wrong with journalism and they tried to, they changed it. And uh, that to me is also just an act of art to just realize this, to create this platform where you can just securely um, upload documents uh, for whistleblowers uh, to use it. Uh, it's just really a beautiful piece of art. It is. Yeah. And I mean, this is an, um, a little bit into the um, Joseph Boyce understanding of art, yeah. who made this um, extended understanding of art where he said everybody is an artist in, yeah. in your profession yeah. and uh, what you create there. And of course, WikiLeaks and special Julian is an artist. Yeah. of truth yeah and he showed us so many principles what when i see old videos um with him interview he, him being interviewed and i see and i can feel it when i see it how strongly he believes in his principles and never ever would sell them yeah not even for his own life yeah yeah i mean that's just I don't uh, think people realize this enough, right? Um, he um, had to make very hard choices, I think, uh, during the last 10 years. Uh, and he always chose to uh, stand by his principles, where the other choice, uh, choice might have been um, more uh, 
more unfavorable for him to, um, I don't know, save his life maybe. Yeah. So uh, he just, he, I think he just rather, um, and that's why he's in prison, right? He's not in prison because he did something wrong. He's in prison because he just stood by his principles. And yes, uh, and and um, and he realized this uh, uh, at a very early age, uh, like uh, when he started WikiLeaks, and especially with the Iraq warlocks and the diplomatic cables. He, you can, if you read back uh, interviews uh, from that time, he will say that the U.S. will make my life hell. Uh, but I will publish it anyway. So he already knew that um, uh, the U.S. would do everything to to crush him. To um, and but but he published anyway. So um, that's just. I think people just don't realize how much courage you have for this i mean you can really just say like oh yeah courage that's fine everybody has courage in one way or the other but this is just very exceptional courage very rare it is and it was not um he did it not for himself he did it just for humanity <laughs> he did it for all of us yeah and this is so i mean i i would say i have met many people with courage and yeah. many many people who was fighting for something they believed in. Yeah. And I never have met Julian in person. But I, w what I know about him, what I see about him, especially in these times since I'm fighting for his freedom as an activist, it just blows me away all the time. Yeah. Understanding and seeing this, that he never sold a single bit of his soul. He never did this. He never even thought about this because he was straightforward with his way. And of course, many people may be questioning him as a person because he is like he is, that he would never sell anything for his own benefit yeah. Yeah. and believe in this society on based on truth in peace everywhere in the world where we don't need these people who sell us lies every day like they do it over and over and over again yeah. and in the end of the day what is called an in, in conspiracy or what no one can believe it comes out as a truth then it is proven because someone blows the whistle yeah. but especially because he is in this prison right now as we all know we are all in prison every whistleblower is in prison every decent journalist is in prison because who would have the balls to publish now something yeah. very irritating again when they see where julian is right now and maybe this is a fear some artists have but hey we have to take this risk or because i mean we we have to to do this and have to fight for him and yeah. if not we I, I don't know you know if not all these decent people and we become more and i don't know where this ends and i feel 
as much uncomfortable with this um, as you do, as you said this in the little video, what is maybe about to come and the time is really pressing right now and the situation is very dangerous. We don't know what will be happen with the decision of Pity Patel, but I think, you know, we, we just need to become louder and louder and louder um, and, and do something about this now. This is not to be the time to be quiet and painting watercolor roses. <laughs> no, no, I, I agree. It's really, uh, if you look at the times right now, you just, like pieces of democracy are taken away from us. Uh, and, um, uh, and in the case of Julian, uh, it's just like, we, uh, I mean, the, like so-called civilized societies just lost the right to publish truthful information and whistleblowers just lost the right to expose corruption or crimes or anything that they want to blow the whistle on. Um, uh, this is all lost already now. Yeah. Because, because uh, yeah. Assange is in prison the whistleblower uh, was in prison, was being tortured. Uh, there are other whistleblowers uh, in prison. And this is all not happening in some um, authoritarian states. This is happening in the US. And this is not only happening in the US, there are other states who just Will, will uh, willingly uh, participate in this. The UK is just participating in this. Um, in the case of Julian, Sweden is uh, guilty. Uh, Ecuador, in the end, is, is guilty. And all governments who now, especially now, when, when this is now a special time where the case is not in front of any court anymore, but it's just now a really a political decision. So right now would be the time for governments all over the world to um, say to the UK, don't extradite him. Uh, and you see this already happening uh, that members of parliament start like cross parliament groups and uh, urge the, their own government to say this. But I mean, uh, in a, in a, if you have a real democracy, uh, the government by itself should just take action and it doesn't need any, it should not need any persuading at all. That, uh, mm. yeah. yeah, but these, um, I mean, what you talk about this uh, letter, what came out of the German, yeah. Uh, parliament members, but we're talking about, I think, something like 37. Yeah. You know, who signed this letter. Yeah. Of the biggest German parliament ever. Yeah. I think, you know, it's, you know, like, a, 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 and, and then you wonder who's sitting there, you know. Of course, yeah, there is from every party, is there one or two or sometimes three. Um, but it is sad, you know, that, mm -hmm. you know, you have 37, when I get the number right now, um, 
parliamentarians who signing this to bring this over to um, the UK government yeah. to stop the extradition and that not everybody's standing up there. And yeah. I can be sometimes very harsh, but my opinion on this, on this is a politician who's not standing up, especially someone who's sitting in German parliament, has so much dirt on their hands that they are shitting themselves when Julian is out that mm. the whistle is blowed on them. Yeah. I, I have no other explanation because from a human rights point of view, whatever party they claim to be in and what they are standing for, but when they don't do anything against this, then there is something where they think someone could submit some stuff to WikiLeaks and then they are done. Yeah. You know, and I think they, they feel safe for themselves as long as Julian is in prison tortured or whatsoever i mean i i can't and i i think i don't want to see it in a different way anymore you know, mm -hmm. because there is no logical human explanation for it they're not signing a letter and saying like everybody every parliamentarian of the government is signing this letter this is hand over to the uk government that they make their decisions that they know that they have to do and have to take the right decision on this, you know. Yeah. And it's the same for us artists, you know. Every artist should get up and do something. And what actually was the reason behind this exhibition? I mean, it was like a two-sided SWOT, I would call it. The one was what um, put me and Bea in this, um, or let, let us make the decision for this exhibition, that we was angry and we was very angry about the less support we got for our postings and stuff um, on Julian's case. But the other reason was also to maybe turn some of them yeah. and saying when we make this call out, when we give them the opportunity to actually then show these art in a physical exhibition where we all know it's the most important thing for an artist anyway, then maybe we could turn the switch and then they start actually to get involved in this case, um, start to think about what what really is behind this, because maybe for many it's really lack of information. Yeah, yeah and, and the information uh, that they might have might not be correct. <laughs> so uh, it's, yeah, it works two ways. And also I agree with you with this, um, uh, your political comment. Uh, I think uh, if you look at politicians now, um, just at the feeling that they are really just like a bunch of technocrats and they are not really being uh, practical anymore. It's just like uh, they are there to not defend the interest of the people, but they are there to defend the interest of power and, uh, and uh, um, it's just a very wor wor worrying situation I think where you might think that like Western uh, civilization is democratic but you can really question this if it is really it is not really democratic anyway I think and 
that's why public pressure is so important in this case because uh, the more people who will uh, use their voice stand for this the more uh, politicians have to listen to it and take action on it um, so there needs to be a big big movement um, to free uh, Assange so in how it comes then um after you saw, of course, all these information on WikiLeaks and then the prosecution and persecution of Julian started this public, you know, smearing of him as a person. But, but how came this idea or how this idea of valid values is born inside you? Uh, I always had the feeling I wanted to do something. Um about uh, the Assange case and WikiLeaks to make a, uh, an art project about this. But I really, I was struggling with an angle, how to approach it. And on the day he uh, got dragged out of the embassy uh, in 2019, um, and uh, I uh, read the reports of what they were what the media was uh, saying um, and uh, uh, somehow it just came to me like uh, this is about values this is about uh, what kind of value uh, do you r represent and this came from uh, multiple um, uh, multiple uh, angles as well because there was the, the, the smearing of Assange was like, uh, especially around the time uh, when he uh, published um, the Clinton emails and the DNC leaks, where uh, also the left turned completely against him. Um, because uh, they thought he, uh, he helped uh, Clinton lose the elections, which of course is insane. To think yeah. like this, but, uh, I mean, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, this but, is a thing I really don't get, you no, know. No, but because... it was, of course, just an excuse, excuse to, to smear him, yeah. Like, uh, and um, he just the, 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 the person Assange completely disappeared, and this made up version in the media of Assange completely took over. And uh, I mean, then I also thought. What kind of value do you have as a journalist to write all this smears about Assange? And I mean, do you really uh, just don't care at all? I mean, is it, yeah. is, is it not your job to stand up to power instead, uh, instead of amplifying it? I mean, what I don't get about this Clinton email situation, you know, is, I mean, the, the emails turned, as I say, obviously the people against her so they didn't elect her and Trump was elected. I mean actually the person who starts in with Mike Pompey to really, you know, go against Julian. Um, but you, you look into this and think like, hang on a minute, he published emails of a woman who lost the plot completely yeah. in these emails. So 
I think it is absolutely in the public interest of the American people to know what this woman was writing and what is the you know, content of these emails. So saying that Julian helped Trump to be elected with publishing these emails, I, I, I simply don't get it because it doesn't make the content of the emails better because it's what is in there. And you could only say this when he um, would have the same kind of convolute of Trump emails he didn't publish, but he had nothing. Yeah. No one gave him anything. So, yeah. and I truly believe he would have um, published the same thing about Trump as well. Of course. You know, but, you know, they, these, the lefties then at this time behaved like little babies, you know, who couldn't get it. Yeah. And still getting until today, of course, you know. No, uh, and they just, I mean, they, uh, as always, it's like uh, in this situation, they turn the spotlight away from all these emails. And, yep. and they turn the spotlight again on the one who was publishing it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Try to kill the messenger, not the person who actually yeah. wrote this shit, you know, yeah. I mean. Uh, she needs to be responsible for the emails she wrote. I yeah. mean, she wrote it. They are real. They are not fake. So what is the problem, Miss yeah. Clinton? You know, yeah. you did it. Yeah, and also, and, and also, what what was uh, revealed in the in the DNC leaks that actually they just rigged the democratic uh, democratic uh, elections of who would be the presidential candidate, right? Um, they just, uh, because it was between Bernie Sanders and Clinton, and they were afraid uh, Sanders would actually win. And if Sanders would have won, he would have beaten Trump easily, I think. <laughs> so uh, it was also that they just uh, uh, just rigged this whole democratic election and in that way shoot themselves in the foot because then the public had to choose between Clinton and Trump. and. Yeah, it's pest and cholera. Yeah, <laughs> you yeah. know, but yeah. So and then they, uh, yeah, and then we all know what happened. So um, yeah, and and so for me, this um, and then of course uh, what uh, what WikiLeaks revealed uh, before the war crimes, the corruption. The human rights violations, evidence of torture. Uh, um, so this combination that uh, I think, like, okay, we know what the values of governments that start wars by lies and uh, and actually grant impunity for war crimes uh, are. They 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 disdain the truth and they. Uh, don't care about transparency and they don't care about the rule of law and the journalists uh, i mean in a in a democracy the media are are um, expected to monitor investigate and then report on uh, government misconduct to give the public a balanced view um but um uh, that balanced view uh, uh, I think it's completely gone. 
so time for a little advertisement break. The other day I was invited to participate in a group podcast, it's called Podcast, hosted by Rico Brewer from the Netherlands. Together with a group of wonderful people and activists for Julian Assange, we were talking about Julian Assange's legal case, where this case is standing right now. We also heard about this massive success these people achieved recently in the Ready for Julian in Brussels. And I had the chance to talk about the upcoming art exhibition for Julian in Leipzig. Please listen and watch to this podcast to meet incredible, great people and hear their stories. The link to the podcast you will find in the show notes. So thank you very much for supporting this podcast. So um, we just have obviously all our different approaches on how we um, start our work or how we finish our work. That's why, of course, what you said was the 12 shots you have on a film is not for everybody to work with because many, I assume, work these days with digital cameras and take like 100 shots or something. Yeah. And then obviously have this big um, choice they make in this. So do you uh, work on So you have no uh, possibility or opportunity to work digital on the portraits, right? Um, no, actually I do because I, um, I uh, scan the negatives. So I can uh, just, uh, so my work is analog. But after that, uh, I developed the film. I scan the negatives and then I just work on the, the scanned fi files to, uh, to finish uh, the, the portrait. So it's like the best of two worlds uh, that I use. <laughs> but, but you need, of course, and even so, what, what people do then with this total digital work where they can use a lot of filter and, and change yeah. the lightning, you have to have an eye on it in yeah, the, the moment you take it. Yeah, and I also have this rule that I, uh, even when I use Photoshop, I don't use any tools that I would not have in a real dark room. So um, it's basically the same process. It's just a bit easier. Like I do dot dodging and burning. Uh, like just contrast all these things that you can do in a real dark room and this is all I do so it's um, um, it's not really just a way people use Photoshop I think uh, in to its full extent so it's just really just what I would do in a dark room yeah yeah otherwise you can be sometimes shocked when you would see how people take a picture and when you see the end result photoshopped yeah when you take all the filters away yeah, yeah. what stays <laughs> from the person now i mean exactly yeah um well, yeah i mean yeah, photo pho photography has changed so much over the last 10 years i mean it's just uh uh yeah it's just a uh, almost became a different medium, I think. Also with all these 
of course with Instagram and uh, people just having a camera on their phone and just taking pictures and posting them. Uh, when we talk about values, I mean, the value of a photograph has just diminished a lot, I think, because of this. Because it's, uh, it's so many photographs you get bombarded with, with them just you know, on social media constantly that, that you, uh, I mean, it's just uh, uh, like it really changed the medium of photography. Yeah. Absolutely. And it is always the same, yeah. actually, you know, yeah. I mean, they have always the same color scene. Yeah. Um, their Instagram feeds are all like, you know, one picture look like the other. I'm always very impressed in in a way um, seeing artist feeds and see these tidy, clean yeah. studios. <laughs> <laughs> and I I know that actually it cannot has anything to do with the reality. No. Or maybe it's their reality. Um, then it is fine, of course, but. Um, I always say I, I don't know, you know, um, when I take a picture of my studio and post this on Instagram, it, it looks like a mess yeah. <laughs> compared to them. Yeah. But, um, but they have this all very nice and very neat and everything is like, you know, pinkish and white. And I always say it's like uh, Barbie Mattel married Ikea or something. <laughs> yeah. Um, where I think, okay, yeah, when you feel fine, it's your thing, but I don't believe it, you know, you can't be in this. I, 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 my studio looks a little bit when you look this up like the studio of Francis Bacon or something, yeah. <laughs> like, like a complete mess. And I'm, you know, not ashamed in showing this because this is how I work. It's a workplace yeah. where I work actually and uh, where I create chaos, yes. Yeah. Very often, a little funny thing is that uh, sometimes uh, things disappear in the kitchen, like a cake knives and stuff like this. <laughs> <laughs> and then I'm asked, have you seen this knife? No, of course not. Should oh. I look in your studio? Will I find it there? And yeah, <laughs> yeah it was a situation with a, actually a a very with a green veggie knife okay. my husband was looking for and he said i i'm sure i find it in your <laughs> studio <laughs> i said no why everything should be in my studio <laughs> he looked and he came out of my studio and actually found this this knife totally covered in red oil color <laughs> and said the evidence is on the knife <laughs> <laughs> because I sometimes think, oh, this is cool, you know, you can really make some good yeah. um, color, um, you know, put the color very in a very good way with this knife on because it's exactly the nice, the right size, what I can use for is exactly what I need. So, yeah, yeah. this is I sometimes a little funny things that happen here as well. But um, so it's not all always like sad and bad energy, of course, you know, so. When but, you yeah, when you um, start to paint, do you already 
know what you want to paint? Do you already have something in mind or? No. Okay. No. Yeah. I mean, sometimes I have and then it changed completely. So I go with the approach in my studio, but this approach is changing totally. And one of the worst works, from my opinion, I did a few years ago um, was that I was asked by someone um, to make a huge painting. It was one meter 80 by 150 um, of Mother Mary because yeah. she had a, like a, a painter's decorating company and was redecorating a Catholic church. And um, so she asked me if she, she bought some of my paintings and asked me if I could do this painting um, because she told them that when they have in, in their altar wall is this huge Mother Mary painting, whoever, you know. So, and I said, okay, I can do this. But in the moment where I said I, I can do it, I didn't know that I had to paint Mother Mary in like, um, like real, mm -hmm. you know, not in my cryptographic, yeah. approach I have and then she said yeah well there go a lot of it's a very small Catholic church and a lot of old people go there so you have to paint Mother Mary so I said good you know it's maybe a test of doing yeah. a commission work and I say it was the first and the last I did actually <laughs> um, because it was four weeks of absolutely pain in painting this yeah I mean, first thing, I'm not, you know, in the Catholic Church. Mm -hmm. I have no problem with Mother Mary or anything like it. Absolutely not. Um, but, you know, I, I believe in God, but I don't like the church. Mm -hmm. And um, so I really try to find an approach how I start this painting and how I maybe can do my own kind of note in it. And I managed it in the end of the day, and these people are very happy with this painting. But I, I said it was a because it was like I had to paint this painting. I had to paint Mother Mary with this blue cape and red dress and all these kind of things. And um, yeah, it really took everything from me, you know. So this was like, oh my god, you have to make a face, like a face look. You <laughs> how I put the energy in there now, and um, yeah. Yeah. This was very, very hard, and I made the decision then that I will not do this again. I will yeah. never do this again. And doing something like this, where someone said, "Like you have to paint it this way," because I want to have it this way, because this is always something. What when I look at this, think like it's not good, mm -hmm. and um, I need this freedom to decide because. It, my, my mood can change when I do a painting or something while I'm on working on a painting, something else comes up, what influenced me and my emotions. And then of course the topic of the painting change. So staying on there, focus on one thing is not what I can do. No, yeah. oh, it's, it's hard for me to do this. Um, especially because I work with oil colors and you have to wait and in between the layers sometimes and, um, then it is, you know, there can be something happen, you know, you hear something on the news or you see something and then 
I feel I have to do something else. So a painting can have many stories behind it in the yeah. end. Yeah. It's more, what, of a, it's more of a fluid thing, right? You have to... I also have this problem that uh, with commissioned work that I just... I have actually the same as you, that you just never feel satisfied in the end about, <laughs> about it. And it's just like... It also shows that you're just... Uh, staying true to yourself and your work, right? Uh, that you can just um, make the best work if you just uh, follow your uh, true feelings and your instinct, and and just be uh, not be constrained by or be restricted by by anything. Yeah. Yeah, and it starts when someone even would say, yeah, um, I would like to have a painting in your style, but can you please do it in green and red or something? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Because the choose of the color is an emotional decision then as well. Yeah. Sometimes I um, I, I love for a time, it was, it's like a very darkish purple, nearly black purple. So I have done quite a few paintings which have this darkish purple in them as a main color and I couldn't touch blue for some reason I, I really couldn't touch blue I was saying like no I cannot make a painting with yeah. blue yeah. and <clears throat> then it starts already because the people who sometimes want a painting fits in the you know decoration of their living room or something and yeah. then I would feel I do interior design and you know, so and then saying, look, when you want a painting from me, then you have to take what you get in the end. Yeah. Um, this is, of course, not the right approach for a commissioned work. You know, so it's this goes wrong totally. So I said, no, I'm not doing it. It's yeah. not what I, I like to do um, because yeah. I would only disappoint people with what I expect, and I would disappoint myself when I mm -hmm. would force myself in doing something what they want me to do. And then um, this goes completely wrong for both sides, and no one is happy with this in, in the end. Yeah. So I was thinking then, I do what I do, and um, it is a harder way, the way we choose, you know? Yeah. Because we don't say, like, I paint now, like, art in, in this, uh, you know, under this genre or so. You know, mm -hmm. in Leipzig, we have here this, like, so-called New Leipzig School, um, where Neo Rauch and all these artists came from, which earn a lot of money and uh, make a lot of money. And of course, when you jump on this horse, you know, then you yeah. are lucky, possibly. Yeah. Because you, people come then and when, when people come to the town and visit a gallery or visit artist studios and then they see paintings look like, then you maybe will make some sales. But this mm -hmm. is exactly the point. It's not about the sales. Mm -hmm. as much happy as we would be and be able to only create art mm -hmm. and don't need to find other sources of income. But it's not what an artist should do because I, I think in the end you kill yourself with this. Yeah. Because you sell your principles and then we are, you know, with Julian again, you know, when you sell your principles, you, who you are then. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah, that's a nice 
full circle. <laughs> it's, uh, um, and I'm always a bit also a full circle because in the beginning we talked about being an outsider and, and, uh, but it's really, I mean, i I don't know if you feel like this, but I mean, making art, um, uh, touching these topics. I mean, I, I feel like an, like an outsider and, uh, uh, also the way WikiLeaks, uh, conducts journalism. I mean, this is like, uh, every news outlet should do it like this, but it's not so many. And so it's all these things that actually should be just the standard are really just nowadays uh, being done by by outsiders and um yeah and 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 it's really hard uh to although i mean you just go go on and i mean you because you have to because you have these principles uh, it's not always easy to to um to uh, yeah, move in the world like this, right? I don't know if you feel the same, yeah. like being an outsider like this. Yeah, I agree with you. Yeah, um, we we are outsiders, and as I said before, um, usual gallery wouldn't touch us because we are too mm -hmm. much trouble. We are not; they cannot create a story about us. They cannot write a marketing concept about us because yeah. they never know what we do next. Yeah. And we, we are prepared to do things and not selling our principles. And I could, you know, name people here where, where I know who would sell, or artists I know who would sell their principles, principles in no time when yeah. they would get, when I talk here about Leipzig, a contract with a very specific gallery, they would do everything yeah. in doing this um, and getting this contract. And this is when I see this and I realize this and I, I can't believe these people anymore because this is something mm -hmm. what is, goes against my principles. And I was doing this or creating a certain image around myself and um, I mean, like the performance I posted um, here on Substack about where the video is coming was obviously something completely new I did. And put yourself out there in this way. And when the galleries check you out and they think like, no, we, I mean, apart from the fact that I'm not interested, that they offer me a contract, but they they wouldn't so <laughs> i'm pretty safe yeah. about this you yeah, know yeah. from this angle but um you put yourself out there and you yes you are an outsider you limit yourself but actually uh ricard it feels good <laughs> you know <laughs> it feels actually good because i know we do something what has a meaning and it feels good that I can say from the bottom of my heart that I'm able to say no to these galleries, even, you know, when they say we would never approach you anyway, but 
knowing even if the day should come and the world is changing, still saying no to them. Because this is not where I want to be. I, I never go to this vernissages and, you know, drinking champagne and talking bullshit about the paintings on the wall because mm -hmm. this is like, just not me, you know. Oh. Um, I don't go there because I don't feel good. And this is the outside of thing, you know, when I would go there and being in this group and listen to the stuff they say, I would feel like I'm being in a completely wrong place. Yeah. And that's why I'm, I'm not going there. And yeah. uh, I'm not seeing there what is, and of course, something what makes you even more outsider because, you know, yeah. no one knows you, no mm -hmm. one knows who you are, and uh, they are not interested. You are maybe someone working there in this little studio at the corner somewhere. Yeah. But it feels good because I'm, I can be on my own and I have um, very good friends around me who support me and my husband supports me in this way. So I'm great, you know, so um, yeah. I don't need them and I don't need to sell my soul. No, exactly. I always wonder, um, like in, in 200 years from now, when people who are living then and look back on this period of time and look at the art, the popular art that, that was being made, like to understand the times that we lived in now, what they will think, <laughs> right? Uh, like, and, and also if the work that we as outsiders make will uh, be documented and uh, for also for people who live 200 years from now to also see like, okay, there were also a group of artists that actually did care and, um, and uh, actually we should look at this art to understand what was going on politically, societally and um, because if you look at popular art right now, I think people would be very confused in 200 years <laughs> to, yep. to, to analyze, yeah, to analyze the times we are living in now. I think so. it maybe will be, um, a little bit like the Van Gogh story, you know, no one was interested in him as mm -hmm. he was alive yeah. and many, many years after his death, um, and today he is considered a genius yeah. in his art and how he created his paintings and people actually understand his paintings mm -hmm. from this point of view. And many people who was then famous at the time, you know, maybe looked a little bit different. But times was different than, yeah, at Van Gogh's time because even so the artists who are now very famous was artists who, when you look into this today, actually cared as well. I mean, this all changed, I think, in the last 30, 40 years maybe, but specifically since we have this digital times and yeah. um, when people start to really put art into the second market on auctions where Yep. You couldn't understand the prices anymore when a painting is sold for 138 million yeah. euros or something. It doesn't make any sense. No. 
because in the end of the day, of course, you can't put a value behind art and money on one hand, you know, because there is a creative process and everything. And but also in the end of the day, it's a piece of linen, mm -hmm. um, a few liters of oil color, possibly a few brushes maybe died in the process. Yeah. And um, the time the artist put in. I mean, the, the creative value, you can't count in money anyway. So that's why this prices put behind this don't make sense. No. When we talk about these auctions, of course, this digital auction, which uh, took place for Julian, is a completely different story because this was a group effort of people donated into this project and into this NFT auction. It's yeah. it's a complete different thing because yeah. it you know everybody donated in and then um, they were able to put this final bit on this artwork and so there is a value of something very very important yeah. with the donations came in and it just makes much more sense but in this auctions at Christie's and Sotheby they put this painting up and you know someone who wants to hide some money or wash some money, put this bit on these auction. Yeah. And then it doesn't make sense because even these artwork, you know, they don't buy the artwork because of the duty of the sense of this artwork, they buy a name. Oh yeah. And like the, <laughs> like the bank, the bank, uh, bank CPs, right? That they <laughs> destroyed when, the, <laughs> when it was auctioned. I mean, that was also just a brilliant, brilliant piece of commentary on the art world, right? And on yeah, auctions. absolutely. Yeah. 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 And I mean, you see how they could fail because I read then that one of these NFT things where someone bought this first tweet for, I don't know how many million. Yeah. Um, and now he put it up again on an NFT auction. I think he got $280 or something. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it was, was, was a nice lesson then, you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. How how this works, and I actually don't want my artworks while I'm alive or when I'm dead seen in one of these auctions where people no. bid on it mm -hmm. for which reason ever they have, but they don't understand why or for what I created it. Yeah, and this is like I hope will change, and we can make a change. Uh, with everything we do mm -hmm. and what we create, how we are, and that more artists join this force to fighting uh, for the right cause here and for yep. Julian, of course. Yeah. Because when he's going, you know, then I don't know. It's, it's so hard to describe because the emotions running high these days a lot. Yeah, I mean, it will be the the start of it, right? If he's going, then the, the, I mean, there's nothing stopping uh, any country, any uh, everywhere in the world to start putting journalists in jail. Uh, it will be uh, it will just be the end of. If we have a democracy right now, if you really believe this, then it will really really be the end of it and uh, yeah i mean we probably will, have... will be arrested for this podcast <laughs> yeah 
then you know? you, yeah, exactly. You cannot do anything anymore. Because, I mean, what we mentioned here today was obviously a few things some people absolutely do not like. Yeah. And um, it's these situations where we are right now. I mean, I'm grown up in the GDR and we had this culture ministry um, who checked every artwork, every song was produced, you know, yeah. everything and gave a go for it is allowed to be shown in the public eye or not. Yeah. And also here we should not forget that big parts of the revolution started in the yard community, you know, oh, at yeah. the poems yeah. and, yeah. Um, you know, the writers who, who did stuff, the musicians who came out, the singer-songwriters who did these little bits and lines, you know, they tried to hide in their songs, and but everybody understood what this was about. And I mean, it was the artists as well, you know, pushed for this yeah. with the support and, of course, of many activists. And this always shows me how much power we really have in our hands. Yeah. Yeah, it's, um, yeah. it's like a, what, what Stefania Maruzzi, the Italian journalist, always says, it's like a collective endeavor. And... And, and art is a important part of this uh, collective. Uh, and mm, uh, what you said about that we cannot, that we would be arrested for recording this podcast. I mean, you cannot imagine this, right? But it's just like when we, uh, like what Niels Melter said, the UN uh, rapporteur on torture. He said, like, people cannot handle unchecked power. They will just go crazy, abuse it, and become like this power-hungry maniacs. So, uh, but we're going in this direction. If, if we are going to jail journalists just simply because they publish the truth, then you already, then you... Uh, already going into a situation where you have unchecked power. And unchecked power, this is just like, will, be, will mean the end of humanity. Because at one point, someone will push a red button and a nuclear bomb will go off and we will we'll all be gone. <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's, it's so important that people realize this. And that's why it's so important that we don't go on our knees with mm -hmm. our art that we stand up and remember yeah. remember the people all the time showing it, holding them the mirror in front of their faces and say, look, this is what is going on. Yeah. And this is what you need to see. And what was behind this performance yesterday is what I know that obviously the picture of me in this orange suit and black cape and everything was maybe to some people very frightening mm -hmm. and very irritating but this is what they do to Julian I mean this is how they hold him in a cage yeah. this is what in a very of course expressive way sh showed what he is in every day chained, invisible, 
to everyone, not able to talk, to express himself mm -hmm. in any way. Yeah. And we need to use these extreme pictures because only then people start to think, I believe. Oh, yeah. I mean, and you cannot, I mean, it's not uh, like a, you can also have some, when you put yourself in the place of people who are just trying to survive day by day, right? Who are just in, like in this situation that they don't have money or don't have any home or whatever, who just this human struggle of just surviving day by day that they don't have the energy or the time or the, the strength to uh, to care or, or, or to worry about or to do something about cases like uh, Julian Assange's case. I mean, it's not a critique, but it's um, when you don't make it visible, when you don't do anything, uh, then uh, you're just sticking your head in the sand and when you stick your head in the sand and you just are not alive anymore. So um, even if it's like maybe hurtful for people to see, to make like injustice visible, it's still a duty to do it because if you don't do it, then uh, um, there, uh, uh, I mean, if we don't do it, nobody will do it. So it's it's up to the to the to the artists to do it and to find really uh, uh, like desperate times need desperate measures, and desperate measures in this case is to shock people maybe to put on an orange suit and then black back above your head and being chained and to shock people because that's the situation we've come to now in the Assange case that we have to maybe shock people to wake them up yeah because they many don't know some don't want to know yeah and as we said before, they do not see the full extent of the meaning of this case. Mm -hmm. They think their personal life has nothing to do with us. Yeah, and this comes because the media is not writing about it, right? Yeah. Uh, how, how could they know? I mean, you have to uh, really uh, dig a bit deeper uh, to find out what, what's really going on. It's, it's not, uh, I mean, uh, like the mainstream media is not reporting on it as it should, uh, should be. It's just um, politicians are not talking about it the way they should be. So if you just get your news from like the eight o'clock news uh, TV program or like a, some newspaper that's is owned by some oligarch or something, then you're not reading about this. <laughs> so, um, uh, yeah, it's a difficult situation. It's very difficult because we have this, you know, 
we're questioning it. We are people who have an open mind. We're questioning everything. We always ask why, yeah. how, when. We ask all this question. And then when you're doing this, of course, you ask yourself why other people aren't doing it. Um, mm. Why they are not interested because they live in their bubble. They don't feel the pain. They don't feel these horrifying torture they put on Julian and his family and his children, of course, as well. And they are not prepared to look into this. What is, for me, very hard to understand. Yeah. Because there is information out there you could get easily um, mm -hmm. without digging too deep. And even when you see something or you hear something like questioning it, it's almost like they get stuff served on a plate and they think everything they get served is the right information. Mm -hmm. And not seeing like this video, Julian is dragged out of this embassy. And, and everybody would ask when you see this on the 8 o'clock news, what was shown at this time, at this day um, by them. And then, you, then you ask yourself why they don't come to the conclusion of maybe checking it. You know, yeah. you yeah. see a man dragged out by policemen and thrown into a police car out of an embassy. And I, I want to know who it is, why this was happening. And I, you know, when I wasn't being the one who was informed already about it, but I would be curious to find out what was going on there. Mm -hmm and read one or the other source about this and come to a conclusion maybe for myself. It's what Julian always encouraged people to do, like, you know, read the information, research, and then you are able to make your own opinion. Because yeah. he forced no one to have a certain opinion. No. Never, you know, he said, this is, I give you the information, what you do with it and what you know, your opinion is on it. This is what you decide. When did you um, uh, got interested in WikiLeaks and Jens Arndt case? Um, I think it was pretty much at the time as, of course, the collateral murder video was out. Yeah. I think this was the point where most of the people got involved in it. Yeah. And of course, you heard about a lot of this, of Julian as a person and um, how he appeared in the public and what he did. And I was always a political person, I must say. I was always interested in questioning things quite a lot. I was yeah. an activist in many things since I'm 16. Okay. And... Um, now I'm 46, but there was, you know, when I smelled an injustice, you could be sure that I'm on it yeah. and I do something. And as Julian then was in the embassy, I actually started to um, got behind this signing petitions at the beginning, of course, and all this stuff, what was going on there was always informed about the case and did my my things <clears throat> yeah but the collateral murder video was this seeing it and being completely shocked 
yeah. by what was going on and why no one did anything. Mm-hmm. And obviously since then I was looking into this, um, also on the WikiLeaks side, try to see things and put them together for me. I mean, it's obviously sometimes a bit complicated, you know, to go through yeah. the structure yeah. um, <clears throat> because things are not found easily, but um, you find stuff. Mm-hmm. And I always had suspicion against politicians anyway, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. because grown up in the GDR, maybe this is something, you know, you're questioning, you know, you think like, what you want to tell me, you know, it doesn't make any sense. And always asking and looking for something else. Then this situation about Julian. Yeah. And what was all put on him, like, you know, we, we don't need to talk about the smearing campaigns here because we don't want to give this any time. But, I mean, you see it and you think, like, yeah, sure, you know. Um, there is someone who did something in an upset government and, of course, he was accused of all sorts of things, you know. And um, so he was, for me, always, you know, the, the hero, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, and he will stay this. And I obviously sworn to myself that I will fight until the day he's united with Stella and his kids. Yeah. And actually, um, and support is growing, right? If you look worldwide, yeah. it's just more and more people get aware about the case and um, see how ridiculous it is and that it needs to be stopped um, so uh, I mean that's that's the good thing about it that more and more people get aware uh, of it and and uh, but let's just hope it's not too late I mean it's really like yeah. as um, Stella is now uh, Stella Assange uh, said uh, we really in the end game now it's not a question of years anymore it's a question yeah. of months. So it's really if you if you uh, really want to do something about it, now is the time to do it. Because if you wait for a couple of months, it might be too late. So you really yeah. have to you really have to stop up and do something about it now. Yeah, and be seen for it as well. You know, yeah. so because it is. It is hard, and we know this, of course, you know. We know that it is hard, and um, that it costs a lot of energy, and but it worth it, of course, because he's the most important persons, human beings of our time. Yeah. And actually, you know, what, did someone ask you maybe, you know, because I was asked the question, yeah, what do you do when Julian is released? You know, what are you doing then? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm not... Um, with, with this project, I mean, this uh, project will end, of course, because this is uh, particularly about Assange, but my work will not change. <laughs> exactly. And yeah. I, I mean, this was my answer, too, because I said, actually, I believe, you know, when he's out and then all the dirt is coming up, then the real work starts as well, you know. Yeah, yeah. Because then, it's, um, you know, then things would come out, many people wouldn't even believe, you know, that they are happen. Yeah. So, yeah, and, you know, of course, 
um, the work for justice, for peace, for freedom is continuing. But he is, you know, our hero. We need to get out now, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you don't have to have the illusion. And if, uh, if Julian uh, wins the case and is not, be, uh, is not going to be extradited, that it will end. I mean, um, I mean, this is this the start of it all, and uh, uh, so it's. Don't think that if you care about this case or if you're an artist, uh, that uh, if Julian wins this case, then it all will be fine. I don't think so. It's. Just the start. This is just really the start of it, and we're in for a very, very long and big uh, battle to uh, fight for valid yeah. values. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, um, um, yeah, brave yourselves <laughs> and uh, be prepared. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I think we might now quite long, mm -hmm. but my podcasts are always long, <laughs> um, long podcast and expressed quite a lot of our values here. Yeah. And why we fight for Julian or why you also fight for Julian, why it is important for your creative process and why you are part of the exhibition. What we are, Bia and I are very grateful. Um, you joined us with your submission. Yeah, well, uh, again, um, it's just, uh, I think this is, if I'm not wrong, the first, uh, if you not want to call yourself a gallery, but a salon, then uh, <laughs> the first, place uh, where an international group exhibition on Assange is taking place. So you can take credit for this. Um, and it's just so, uh, I mean, it's also the right time to do it, right? As I said, it's uh, not a matter of years anymore. It's a matter of months. So it's just yeah. the right time to do it. It's just, um, and I'm very, very happy to that I can join the exhibition because um, I cannot think of any better place to. And it's also the first time that all the portraits are being seen at once. So I cannot think of any better place to have all the portraits shown uh, all together for the first time. So very happy. And we are looking forward to see your portraits in a physical way. Yeah. Okay, Ricard, then um, thank you so much for your time tonight. Very welcome. And we will hear ourselves anyway um, in preparation for the exhibition. And yeah. thank you for sharing your thoughts with us today. Thank you. I really enjoyed it. And good luck with all the preparations and good luck with your fight <laughs> against injustice. <laughs> Same to you. Okay. Thank you. Have a good night. Good Bye. Night. Bye. 
Well, here we are at the end of our first podcast Persona Unfiltered in the series of artists supporting Julian Assange. Thank you very much, Ricard, again for taking the time tonight to talk to me about this very important topic and supporting Julian Assange with your submission to our exhibition. Also, I love to thank my friend Carsten Klatte, a musician from Berlin, for writing the song We Are Millions, which we use in this podcast. This song is dedicated to Julian Assange as well. And I will put you all information about the song, links to Ricard's web presence and to the podcast mentioned before in the show notes. I hope you are with us the next time. Next podcast will come anytime soon because there are lots of artists made their submissions for this exhibition and I try and want to talk to all of them and introduce them all to you here. Thank you very much and see you next time. Mm -hmm.